X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon, and it's Tuesday, May 18th. Today, we'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview with Cheryl Kennedy, chairwoman of the Confederated Tribes of the Grand Ronde, on the Blue Heron Project. X-Ray. Today, back in the day, on May 18th, 1905, Surat Ali was born. Born in India, he immigrated to Britain in the 1930s and became a well-known trade unionist and political activist. He fought tirelessly for equality for Laskers, sailors on British ships from Asia and the Middle East. Laskers were subject to appalling discrimination. They were paid significantly less than their white counterparts and lived in shabby hostels. As a London representative for the All Indian Seamen Federation, Surat Ali helped organize a major Lasker strike during World War II. The strike eventually won better pay and living conditions for Laskers. But even after, Surat Ali worked to free labor agitator prisoners and raised international support for Indian independence. And today, back in the day, on May 18, 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted. The warning signs had started a few months earlier. On March 20th, a 4.2 magnitude earthquake shook the peak and caused ashy columns to burst thousands of feet into the air. A month before the eruption, a bulge the size of a town had appeared on the side of the mountain. Around 8.30 a.m. on May 18, 1980, scientists watched the northern face of the mountain collapse, breaking 1,300 feet of rock off the mountain face in seconds. It is still one of the largest avalanches in recorded history. After that, the bulge made of gloopy, gassy magma decompressed, producing a blast going over 300 miles per hour. The thermal shockwave destroyed hundreds of miles of forest and caused plastic to melt as far as 13 miles away. The ash was just as destructive, pouring from the crater 15 miles high, which damaged buildings, waterways, and sewers. All in all, the eruption killed thousands of animals and 57 scientists, photographers, hikers, and mountain dwellers. It also destroyed 250 homes and hundreds of miles of highway. Since 1980, wildlife had reclaimed large portions of the disaster area, and scientists nationwide have ramped up their research on volcanoes. But the Mount St. Helens eruption still lingers in the public memory as a reminder of the power lurking just beneath our feet. Today, we'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview with Cheryl Kennedy, chairwoman of the Confederated Tribes of the Grand Ronde, on the Blue Heron Project. X-Ray. First up, it's time for today's Quick Six Local Rundown. The Oregon Senate passed a bill to reinstate the foreclosure moratorium until June 30th. Last week, the Oregon legislature extended the renter's moratorium until February 2022. Now, Lawmakers are also extending the freeze for residential foreclosures on homeowners. Importantly, this bill does not include commercial property owners or Oregonians who own five or more properties. The bill retroactively applies to December 31, 2020, all the way through June 30, 2021. 
it's possible that the foreclosure moratorium will continue to be extended beyond June 30th in 90-day increments. But for that to happen, Governor Kate Brown would have to extend the statewide emergency period. The bill passed in the Senate 19-9 along party lines, with the exception of two Republicans who voted for it and one Democrat who voted against. The bill will now return to the House for approval before going to the governor's desk. Here's your daily dose of data. The Oregon Health Authority reported 310 new coronavirus cases yesterday. There were also three new deaths. That brings the state's total number of cases to 195,882. The total number of deaths is now 2,590. And 54% of Multnomah County has at least one vaccine dose. 48% of Oregonians are vaccinated. Relaxed mask mandates mean local businesses must make a choice. After the CDC loosened mask mandates for those who have been fully vaccinated, there was also some lingering confusion. After all, Governor Kate Brown had extended Oregon's mask mandate indefinitely. The OHA has now clarified a few things. Oregonians must either get vaccinated or continue to wear masks and practice social distancing, both indoors and outdoors. Businesses are facing a similar situation. They have the choice of either continuing physical distancing and mask rules or implement a plan to check customers' vaccination statuses. If businesses choose so, fully vaccinated customers may be allowed indoors without a mask. The Oregon Health Authority reports that it is working on further guidance for businesses. Senator Wyden wants to make the Minority Business Development Agency permanent. Since a 1969 executive order, the Minority Business Development Agency has helped entrepreneurs of color overcome the historic barriers to small business ownership. But the agency's existence was threatened in 2018 when it was cut in President Trump's executive budget. Although the agency was restored in 2019, the change inspired Oregon Senator Wyden to make the agency permanent. The bill, which Wyden is co-sponsoring, would also expand the agency's reach now that it has more money at its disposal. President Biden's proposed 2022 budget would increase the agency's funding by more than 40 percent. The legislation would create regional offices for the Minority Business Development Agency and rural business centers. It would also create a new program in partnership with historically black colleges and universities. Governor Kate Brown and lawmakers reached an agreement on Oregon's school's budget. After a week of back and forth, the governor and lawmakers decided to increase funding for K-12 schools last Friday. Initially, top Democrats had proposed a $9.3 billion spending plan for schools, while Governor Brown's own plan drafted $9.1 billion. Governor Brown criticized the lawmakers, suggesting that their plan to get the last $200 million from a state reserve fund was unconstitutional. She also claimed that the lawmakers' plan did not include additional investments to prioritize disadvantaged students. Now the governor and lawmakers have agreed on the $9.3 billion budget for K-12 schools. The specifics of the plan, besides its cost, remain unclear. 
We won't find out until later where the final $200 million is coming from or how the plan will help marginalized students. A statement from the governor's office simply said, quote, In the coming days, the governor's office and legislators will work with education leaders and leaders from communities of color to identify concrete actions to be undertaken in partnership with school districts to further these urgent goals. OSHA has begun crafting protections for workers who are vulnerable to heat waves and wildfires. As many Oregon counties are already entering drought season, Governor Kate Brown has asked Oregon health agencies to develop policies to protect workers from intense heat and wildfire smoke. That includes people like farm workers, transit operators, delivery drivers, and warehouse employees. Intense summer heat puts workers at risk of heat stroke, while wildfire smoke puts workers at risk of respiratory and heart disease. Nora Apter, the program director of the Oregon Environmental Council, pointed out that protections aren't guaranteed. She said, quote, Right now, frontline workers have no assurance that in the face of climate hazards like wildfire smoke and excessive heat, their health and well-being will be prioritized over industry bottom lines. Advocacy groups are pushing for things like preventative pay and protective standards. Oregon OSHA will hold two listening sessions on worker protections on May 20th and 25th. A proposal of worker protections will be completed by June 30th. And finally, some good news. The Portland Trailblazers are heading to the playoffs for the eighth year in a row. That's the longest consistent streak in the history of the NBA. On Sunday, the Blazers crushed the Denver Nuggets 132-116. to With that, the Blazers claimed sixth seed in the Western Conference and made it to the playoffs. This season has been a mixed bag so far for the Blazers. A weak defense was the biggest setback for Rip City, but since late April, the Blazers have come back strong. But competition at the playoffs is looking stiff with teams like the Jazz, the Suns, the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Mavericks, and the Lakers. And leading up to the playoffs, there's a speculation if Blazers coach Terry Stotts will continue on for another season. But there's still hope for both the Blazers and their head coach. Stotts was just named NBA Western Conference Coach of the Month. And the Blazers are first set to face off against the Nuggets. So, if we can play like we did on Sunday, the Blazers have a good chance of advancing to the next round. Let's go Blazers! And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Up next, Andy Lindbergh speaks with Grand Ronde Tribal Councilwoman Cheryl Kennedy about the tribe's plans for the old Blue Heron Mill site by the Willamette Falls. In 2019, the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde purchased a plot of land by the Willamette Falls. The tribe's historic connection to the area made it the perfect location for an environmental restoration and redevelopment project. For years, the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde worked with local government and other tribal groups to restore the area as part of the Willamette Falls Trust. But in late April, Grand Ronde pulled out of that trust. Here to tell us more is Shirley Kennedy, chairwoman of the Grand Ronde Tribal Council. We'll talk about the history of Willamette Falls, 
what went wrong with this project and what will happen next. Shirley, thank you for joining us this morning. Good morning. Uh, can you tell us about your historic and cultural relationship with the Willamette Falls area? Sure, of course. And I noticed that you uh, pronounced my first name, Shirley. It's Cheryl. Oh, Cheryl. Thank you for that correction. My apologies. Oh, you're you're welcome. Well, of course, uh, the Confederated Tribes is composed of many tribes, but one of them are the the two that are the homelands for the Willamette Falls are the Clackamas and the Clawiwala people. Uh, our villages were right there. We had our permanent home structures there at the falls. I think many people are familiar with plank style homes. We were not a transient type of people. We lived at the falls year round. Uh, we were also known as the keepers of the falls. Hmm. So we were responsible for the management of the fisheries and of the visiting tribal members that came to fish and to <clears throat> have potlatch with uh, the Clackamas and Kaliwala people. And on the and in that management process, there was a protocol, and the protocol would for the visiting members they would share percentage of their catch as a type of tribute at the fishery. You know, some, there have been many people who have come to uh, research and to find more about the people who lived at the falls. And I'll just make one statement from one of those people. His name mm -hmm. was William Slaycomb in 1837. He noted that the Kaliwalas, also the, the Taman was or the Willamettes lived there. This tribe, he says, now nearly extinct, was formerly very numerous and lived at the falls of the river, 32 miles from its mouth, on the right bank. And there they have the right of fishing at the falls, an exact tribute from other tribes who come hither in the salmon season. And I guess the other thing that I will say is that I am a descendant of the treaty signer of the Clackamas uh, Treaty. That treaty was signed in 1851 by four chiefs. One was my grandfather, hmm. and so I'm a direct descendant of those people and my ancestors uh, who managed the Willamette Falls and who lived there. So, uh, yeah, I... I have very strong connections to the Willamette River there. The other thing that I would say is that Willamette Falls was very important for our tribal people. Mm -hmm. It was an economic hub. It was a huge place of commerce. Um, the falls was well known for its abundance of fish and lamprey, all of the foodstuffs that... Uh, Native people uh, subsisted on. So uh, tribes came from near and far, and there are other great fishing sites uh, along the Columbia as well. But the Willamette Falls, I think most people know, is the second largest fall by volume in the United States. So hmm. it's a very important land site. 
Well, so what a what anyhow, a. There is also documentation by the Indian agent at Grand Ron when he notes that Oregon City John and others travel to Willamette Falls for fish camp while leaving his son, Joe Apperson. And you, if you're in Oregon City, you'll see that some of these names are contain the names of my ancestors. Mm. Uh, but there's the Apperson Road there in Oregon City. But anyhow, Joe Apperson... Uh, ran the fishery that Willamette Falls, uh, while Oregon City John advances to Cascade Rapids on the Columbia River to run the fisheries there. So the the cultural connections are are so strong that the archaeologists who study the falls and um, do their work find uh, the remains of my ancestors and the artifacts that are there, mm-hmm. all of that. So very, very, very strong cultural connection. And what an interesting position for you to be in with, with such a strong uh, connection, to be in a position to be caretaking that land once again. In in 2019, uh, the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde were able to purchase back land where the Blue Heron paper, paper mill used to be. What... What did that mean to you to to be able to to step back into a caretaking role for that land? Personally, it was a a great moment of deep reverence and of deep thanks and gratitude um, that the land uh, there was being returned and that mm-hmm. we were able to. Um, again, take over the management of the lands there. But in our culture, we know that we don't stand alone when we do something. We come from a strong, mighty people. And so as I look back, all of those people that I come from stand with me today, Hmm. and they rejoice. Um, And I feel so uh, grateful that I'm able to play a small part in seeing that the cultural restoration uh, is going to come about and that things will be done in such a way that the land will be able to heal and the waters, the environment will be cleaned. I, you know, the, I don't know of any words that could express the joy and the, the I guess, from my perspective, the humility that mm. I feel to be used in this way in this time, um, it's, it's just really o- overwhelming. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. It's, it, it is, uh, a, uh, from, from my experience, always um, so humbling when one's uh, personal work um, is also involved in in their their community work um, the Willamette Falls Trust uh, was formed about the time that this purchase was made um, to uh, develop and uh, to um, shepherd the 
the changes to the Willamette Falls area. Um, and as we uh, said at the at the top of our interview, the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde have now left that trust. What led to to your decision uh, to depart the Willamette Falls Trust? You know, I, I've been asked this question a few times before, and <clears throat> the answer remains the same. Um, we're moving forward. We purchased the land, as you noted, in 2019. Uh, the property had been owned by other owners previous to that, mm-hmm. And um, the waterfront project was uh, was started probably seven years ago or maybe eight years ago. And we were there uh, at that time, too. Mm-hmm. And we're quite aware that uh, it's a large group that's involved in the planning and uh, doing some of the research and all of that. But uh, we also seen that it was... Uh, moving very, very slowly, very mm. slowly. Mm-hmm. And so once we had the opportunity to purchase the property, we immediately um, were still maintained our engagement with the, with the project. Uh, and then, as, as you say, in 2000, um, 2019, the trust was formed. Well, uh, as far as our tribe and our vision and as being the owners of the property, things are just rolling so slow that we thought, no, we need to go ahead and we need to do what we need to do. And so we got involved in uh, looking at the at the walk, the riverfront walk, and the way that it was structured. Um, we didn't really understand why it why the walk was going to be down the middle of the road there. Uh, where the little street goes away from the river. You couldn't see the river. That didn't make Mm. sense. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, well, we'll, you know, let's design it around by the river where you can actually see the river. And so that, and that was uh, accepted by the group. Uh, They thought, well, yeah, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, And so we just continued to do the planning. We continue to, We've hired our own um, consultants who have worked diligently. Um, and so we're moving forward. Unfortunately, the, um, the project that's uh, in place by the, by, set up by Metro um, is really uh, is taking a long time. So we just thought, no, we're going to go ahead and move forward. This is our property. We will design it in a way with many of the same principles uh, that we worked on when we we're a part of the whole group. Mm-hmm. So that's really, really, uh, you know, what's motivating us is to really get through this and to do, as we've said before, that we're a great partner. We want to make sure that the public has access to this uh, beautiful resource. Uh, we want to share it. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that uh, the land is healed, that the property is taken care of, and that it again be a place of commerce, uh, a very vibrant uh, place where people can come. So the restoration um, that we're looking for, of course, is mainly about the 
uh, environment, about the native plants that are there, habitat, and all of the things that um, restoration could do. Mm-hmm. We also want to use uh, part of the place for being able to host uh, events and uh, host people. We want uh, the public to have access to the river. Mm-hmm. We're also uh, looking at our own Grand Ronde tribal uses for establishing gathering spaces, tribal spaces, all of those kind of things. So um, we're we're just moving forward. Uh, this is uh, Andy Lindbergh. I'm speaking with uh, Cheryl Kennedy, chairwoman of the Grand Ronde Tribal Council, about the tribe's decision to withdraw from the Willamette Falls Trust and their uh, plans for their property uh, where the Blue Heron paper mill used to be. So uh, having read a, a, a little bit about um, the the challenges of the the Willamette Falls Legacy Project. In in the future, how can nonprofits like the the Willamette Falls Trust better prioritize indigenous voices? You know, one one of the things that I spoke of earlier was about uh, the Willamette uh, about the Clackamas uh, Treaty. Mm-hmm. Uh, that while there were four treaty signers chiefs who signed it. Um, it was not ratified. It was folded into the larger uh, treaty, which is the, known as the Willamette Valley Treaty, uh, the Kalapuya Treaty of January 22nd, 1855. Mm-hmm. And again, my grandfather was uh, signed on that treaty yeah. as well because it, came, it contained the parts uh, relating to the Clackamas, Klaliwala people. And uh, that treaty basically uh, outlines, uh, if you're familiar with treaties, most treaties are built from the same foundational concepts um, prior to uh, colonization of the United States. Those treaty frameworks were used uh, um, by the European, the conquerors, the explorer people. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it established two things. It established boundaries, and it established, established conduct. Hmm. So if you enter into this treaty, you agree to the conduct outlined in the treaty, and it's ma- mainly about keeping the peace and staying within your boundaries. So um, anyhow, if, if folks took a look at the Willamette Valley Treaty, they can see the map and they mm-hmm. can see the boundaries that uh, were established. So um, that's kind of the backdrop of what could be probably uh, listened to better. Okay. Is really, if all would really take the treaty seriously and know the place that all of the tribes of Oregon, uh, most of them have treaties. Yeah, And to look at that and to really experience that no more than, um, you know, I would say if you were a private landowner, you have a title, you have a deed, it establishes your boundaries. That's your that's yeah. yours. Mm-hmm. You don't go to the neighbor across the road and say, well, what do you want to do with this across the street? 
you know <laughs> they may they may say well we you know and there are laws about that if you're a farmer you have to put a buffer around it for mm-hmm. fire and they might say that well they haven't put a buffer there yet um <laughs> but that's really the way that that i see that and yeah <clears throat> that hasn't been clearly um embraced well it's such so, a uh a, a a complex uh, legal issue, as you're describing, and and as you were sharing earlier, it's a, a you know both a cultural and and for you a, a personal thing. How uh, I, I'm sorry to say we have to to wrap things up. How how can people learn more about what's going on with uh, the Grand Ronde uh, uh, property uh, at Willamette Falls and understand a little better the 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 stories behind it? Well, uh, the Confederated Tribes does have a website. Okay. And uh, we uh, post uh, pretty often progress of the tribe and many of its uh, dealings. Great. Uh, This property in particular, we're thinking of establishing a website just for it. And, um, you know, that should be launched soon. And so if someone's looking and wanting to know what's happening with the property and how, how it's moving, that would be the site to go. But for now, okay. it would be the Confederated Tribes uh, uh, website. website. Great. So uh, Cheryl Kennedy, chairwoman, chairwoman of the Grand Ronde Tribal Council, thank you so much for joining us this morning to talk about uh, the Willamette Falls Project. Thank you. Hayumasi. Have, have a great day. Thank you. Thanks to Chairwoman Kennedy for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in just about 30 minutes. And as always, thank you, democracy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.